For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Even though King Ahaz was a wicked man, his son, Hezekiah, who succeeds him on the throne of Judah, turns out to be one of Israel's finest. Hezekiah brings back true worship to a backslidden nation. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Spiritual Revival. Alrighty, we're getting ready to start here. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to... 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Kings chapter 18, we're going to pick up at verse 1 where we left off last week and we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we want to hear from you. This is your living word that's as sharp as a knife as you describe it, Lord, in the New Testament, to, to, to bring life on the at the inmost level of our hearts and souls. And we just pray that we'd be able to hear you tonight, Lord, and and leave this place changed and renewed and strengthened and encouraged in our faith. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, sometimes people who mess up in life uh, like to blame their bad upbringing. And no doubt their bad upbringing can contribute. But tonight we're gonna meet a man Uh, who pulls the rug out uh, from that whole excuse, and his name is Hezekiah. Now, uh, he had parents, particularly his father. Uh, His father was wicked King Ahaz, one of the worst kings ever. Uh, He offered Hezekiah's own siblings uh, to the god Molech through the fire. In other words, he sacrificed Hezekiah's brothers and sisters to this god, Um, Uh, his own children. He consulted sorcerers. He did all kinds of wicked anti-God things. Uh, But despite that, uh, Hezekiah becomes one of the most godly kings in the Old Testament. We're going to take a look at him tonight. Here's the chart with the highlighted um, person. Now, some of you were not here last week because you're laughing at something that was shown last week. So, uh, so yes, we are done with the uh, divided kingdom as such. The kings of Israel had their go, about 20 of them, 200-year warning. Uh, the Lord warned the northern uh, split, right? There was civil war right here. It was David and Solomon, and then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and then the kingdom divided, and there was civil war And 200 years later, the last king, all of them bad, all of them corrupt. Uh, Assyria came in, and the year is 721 BC, and all of uh, northern Israel down to Samaria was taken away, deported, and replaced uh, with Assyrians. Now, now the rest of uh, 2 Kings, starting here at chapter 18, we have about eight chapters, counting this one, left. All deal with, from Hezekiah, the, the, the Judah kings, who are all related by blood to King David. And we have, what, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more kings to go. 
and then we're done with 2 Kings uh, at the end there with Zedekiah. So tonight, you know, a very famous and uh, very, uh, a lot of details about Hezekiah in, in the scriptures, uh, but we've got eight out of the 20 here uh, have really staved off, they've bought more time is what I'm trying to say. They have 136 more years to try to pull the nose of this ill-fated jetliner with all those Jews on board from crashing, uh, but they're not, uh, here's a spoiler alert, ready? They're not going to make it. All right, so eight kings to go, 136 gracious years, and the reason they have 136 extra years is because of guys like Hezekiah. Eight of the 20 or so, depending on your, how you're counting, eight were faithful. And during those times, revival came and God was gracious and it was buying them time because God wanted to prosper them, not to harm them, to give them a hope and a future. And in fact, that's the context of Jeremiah 29, 11, is this time. He's telling them, come on, you guys. And then at the end of that, he's saying, I'm going to exile you all, but I will also gather you back when you seek me with all of your heart, that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. And so here's King Hezekiah. He's one of the best kings uh, of all. He saves the day, and he's going to stave off the strong uh, hand of the enemy, Assyria, who just took all of North Israel away. So now we've just got 1.8 million Jews left in Judah. That's it. Everybody else is, is gone. All right, verse one. I've got the text for you as well, if you didn't bring your Bible. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, wicked Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, not the prophet. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father, he's related to King David, and they're called uh, his father, even though he's about uh, 12 generations or so removed, had done. He removed the high places. Wow, you know how odd that is because it always says he was a good king except he didn't get to the high places. So uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. (laughs) It was called Nahushtan which means in Hebrew, it's a wordplay because it means snake and bronze and thing. And so it means the bronze snake thing. (laughs) They were worshiping the bronze snake thing, all right? I prefer Nahushtan. (laughs) Sounds like you're sneezing. (laughs) Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah except, of course, David, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands of the Lord that the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. 
Now, you know what the great application here and the great thing that we can take away, the insights here for us tonight is if you've ever wanted spiritual revival, if you've ever felt like just things are dull, you know, uh, and I don't love the Lord as much as I used to, how do I change that? Well, we're going to see how one man uh, brings great reformation. In fact, if you're taking notes, you could say number one is spiritual revival because he took a people that were pretty much dead, spiritually speaking, and God brought new life. And so Hezekiah's story, note takers, uh, is found in three different places. I like to tell you about that. So here in chapter 18, 19, and 20, in 2 Chronicles uh, 28 through 32, and in Isaiah, who is Hezekiah's mentor, Isaiah 36, 37, 38, and 39, I'll talk about King Hezekiah. So there's a lot, but uh, 2 Kings chapter 18 just kind of gives you the basics. And so, uh, first of all, he's the best king ever, uh, walking in faithfulness as David did. And now a few helpful insights to really um, show us how to have our own spiritual uh, re- revival. And so number one, I would say, is you don't need to be old and experienced, all right? Uh, so for, he's 25. He's 25 years old. I mean, his complexion is just clearing up, all right? I mean, he's 25. That's not a lot of uh, life experience logged in, and yet he's going to be this agent of change. And so it's great to, to look at that and to know that, you know, on either end of the age spectrum, young or old is never the issue. It's all about the seriousness of your commitment uh, to God. Amen? I mean, ask, ask Mary. Ask Mary about qualifying because you're experienced and have some age. You know, she... That, that came out wrong. But anyway, I mean, she, she's a teenager. She's a teenager. And so many uh, people in the Bible were used in, in their youth. So the guy's 25. And, and, and secondly, you, you don't need a godly upbringing. You know, you can't, you say, you know, I'm never going to amount to anything because I'm so broken because I come from such dysfunction. Well, uh, here in this case, dad is a loser, all right? And I mean loser in the sense that he loses out on the grace that he has forfeited, all right? And so dad loses out but grand, grandfather and great-grandfather, can we have the chart back? Ahaz is wicked, that's dad. Grandpa is obedient, and Uzziah is even more famous for his righteousness. So somewhere along the line, commentators say, perhaps there was some involvement and some influence, and certainly there are stories, and he wants to be more like grandpa. Now listen, grandma and grandpa, if your kids wander away and, and they're grown and they bring forth into this world your grandchildren, go for it with the grandkids, all right? Because you have influence. 
Use your influence. There are many grandparents in this room that bring their grandkids to church. And, and the kids, the grown-up kids, their kids say, hey, that's okay. You can do that. We're not attending church. We're not walking with the Lord. But you can have an impact. And uh, I'm just going to take some time here. I just feel led to just pause here, even though it's not a huge point in the passage. But uh, we were walking through Central Park on a, during our New York Missions team event. And uh, I told you this before, but we met the most radiant grandma and granddaughter. And they were from Russia. And what happened was when grandma was babysitting the girl who was about 17, 16 in New York, back in the day in Russia in St. Petersburg, she was babysitting her and swinging her on the swing and a Calvary Chapel missionary was in the same park swinging their little kid. And they started talking and one thing led to another. They started going to the church, grandma only, and the grandchild became Christians, grew up. She grew up in that church. She became a real fiery believer, the girl. They're walking through Central Park. Mom and dad emigrated from St. Petersburg to New York City, where they are devout atheists. And grandma and, and saw our prayer table, and they came up and they told the whole story, uh, how grandma led the little girl to the Lord, and the little girl is the regional translator for all Western missionaries who come to that whole St. Petersburg area. She interprets for the missionary evangelist in St. Petersburg because grandma, grandma had the influence in her life. Mom and dad, no. And so I kind of see that here. And so, you know, the I'm too old, I'm too young thing, I'm too whatever. God just doesn't buy any of that serious faith and an undivided heart, a big impact. Now, Maybe he's learned from Israel, too, because Israel's being deported at the time he's watching all of this. So agents of spiritual reform, you know, first of all, he doesn't waste any time. He gets really busy. Uh, God's given me an opportunity. I mean, the crown comes down on his head, and he comes off that throne swinging, all right? So at 25, he gets the opportunity, and God doesn't require of me what's beyond my own sphere of influence, in other words, I'm not accountable to change things I can't change. But if he gives me a, an ability, a sphere of influence, and something in that sphere of influence I can impact, which is now he is king. And before he was crowned, he had no authority over the high places and over all the ways that Israel was worshiping. But now God says, hey, I've given you a sphere of influence, and now... You are accountable because now you can make a difference. And so he comes off that throne swinging. And, and it started with his own life. In verse 3, it says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It always starts with you first. And you can't lead anybody else or impact anybody else unless you yourself are, are living right with God. And so, you know, he's walking right before the Lord it's so much easier to point out everybody else's sins. It's so much easier to tell you how to have spiritual revival while my own heart is needing it. Amen? Yeah. 
Isn't it easier? To, what did Jesus say? You know, you're all about telling somebody how to pull the log out of their eye. And, and he's saying, actually, you should work on the log out of your eye so that you can see clearly to get the speck out of the other person's eye. Amen. Sorry to step on your toes like that on a Wednesday night. But he's the kind of guy who says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way in me. That's King David. That's his father. That's who this guy is. He says, Lord, tell me, show me. Show me where I'm messed up and I'm broken and sinning. Show me and I'll fix it. So the guy was walking with the Lord. So first thing, he goes after the high places. The high places nobody else can get to. Nobody ever gets to the high places. The high places were the hills where all the Israelites just adored those little lucky places where they'd go to, to call down fortune and there were shrine prostitutes up there. And no, everybody was just like, don't mess with that or everybody's gonna get really, really mad. All right, and so this kid, he says, hey, down with the high places right away because he's a man after God's own heart like his father, David. So he's the kind of guy, and we can learn from this. If you want to make changes in your life spiritually, uh, go big or go home. <laughs> that, I mean, it worked for him. He was like, I'm going straight up to the high places, number one. And then if you get the high places, and I think of the high places as besetting sins that I just say, you know, I'm going to live with this the rest of my life. Oh, well. Those are the high places. If you get to your high places, everything else is easy. And you'll be successful. And that's what, he, well, that's what it says there in verse 7. God was with him. And I think it has to do with going from the high places. He goes to the high places. God is with him. And whatever he did and undertook was successful. Uh, the next thing I see in this opening paragraph is that those who have spiritual revival going on in their own heart and who bring it out uh, to others and impact the world for Christ are daring and gutsy and they take risks. They take risks. They fear God more than what people think. So right away, he smashes the sacred stones. And so, you know, the sacred stone was like sorcery, a place of sorcery and magic. Uh, he cuts down the Asherah poles. The Asherah poles said, here's a, it was a sign that was a, a tall pole that you could see so that you knew there was a temple shrine prostitute place there. So he cut all of those down, not to mention what he did to the actual shrines, right? And so the Asherah poles were gone. And then he gets to this beloved relic uh, called, uh, you know, the sneeze name, Nasha Tan, all right? The bronze serpent thing, all right? Here's what happened in Numbers chapter 21. They were bitten by snakes because they were complaining and wanting to go back to Egypt, and the Lord was just chastising them. And the Lord tells Moses, here's how to fix this problem. They're all dying. Put, make, fashion a serpent out of bronze, judgment, the curse of the serpent. Put it on a pole, 
And many, many commentators say the way they would have fastened it would have looked like a cross with a serpent like this on a pole, right? And, and God says through Moses, anyone who looks at it will be healed. Well, you'd have to have faith that by looking and believing and just looking at whatever God said, hey, look to this thing and you will be saved. Jesus said in John chapter 3, by the way, that whole deal was pointing to me in the cross. He said, that is a picture of me on the cross becoming the sin, the curse, and the judgment uh, for you. And so what happened is they kept that little bronze thing, snake, right? And then they started through the years to worship it. Why? Because their hearts are deceitful. They're not worshiping the true God, and so you get spiritually crazy, and you start offering incense to this piece of bronze. And so he cut that thing up into pieces. Now, here's a quote about that action. The deceitful and wayward human heart loves to empower lifeless things in places, stones, relics, trees, Mountains, special sites, statues, images, and anything that can't answer back or challenge you, anything that can't see into your heart, their only function is to bless you and to bring you good fortune. That's why we love them and that's why we create them. They do for us what we've empowered them to do. So I went on Amazon and I found out that you can buy a 4.2 ounce bottle of holy water certificated from the Jordan, scented with official holy land flower scent for $19.50. It's guaranteed, it's been blessed and it's from the Jordan River, it's guaranteed to cure whatever ails you. But wait, there's more. Because you know how in, on Amazon, underneath it says, you may like this and this and that and that. And so there it was. Seven in one, holy water, soil, oil, cross, incense, candle, and icon in the big Jerusalem set from the Holy Land. And it's less money. It's $15. So what a deal. I bought that one instead. Oh, don't you think for one second, this is about 3,500 years ago, the human heart, man, has not changed. And so instead of the, the serpent bronze thing, you've got the seven-in-one thing here. It's the same stuff. And, and it's safe because it's there, it's quiet, it just does what it's supposed to do. Bring you health and healing and tell you everything you want to hear. That's why you've empowered it. Do your thing, do your thing, do your thing. Instead of talk to me, Lord, and hear him say, uh, you talk to me. So what were you thinking the other day? And what were you doing last night? Oh, we don't want that kind of God. We want this kind of God, the little serpent bronze thing, right? <laughs> Worshiping the serpent instead of God, uh, it happens. So not on Hezekiah's watch, and so uh, not when he can do something about it. So he's going to do something about it. I like that he didn't put it in storage, all right? 
<laughs> you got that, huh? A bunch of sinners here. You guys identify with everything I'm saying, yes. He didn't put it in storage, you know. He broke it into pieces. That's what he did. And, um, yeah. Yes. And so now what do we have? We have a guy, he's 25, he just takes the throne. He had a wicked father, and he has to undo everything wicked dad has already done. And, and some of the guys before uh, his godly grandparents. And so uh, the high places are flattened, the, the, the stones are smashed, the poles are chopped up, the snake that was once worshipped is turned into scrap metal. And Second Chronicles 29 adds, he cleanses the temple. When we say cleanse the temple, just picture what Jesus did. He went into the temple and he made things right. He turned that place upside down. He took out the trash. You remember what his dad did? His dad saw a golden, sparkly pagan altar in Syria and imported it in and swapped out the bronze altar for the new Syrian pagan altar. Remember that? And his dad closed up the doors after that as well. So what did he do? He goes in. He takes the front altar. He gets rid of that. He brings the bronze altar back in place. He, all of these things are in 2 Chronicles 29. Proper sacrificing, there's a sincere worship uh, happening there. He reopens the temple doors that da- dad had nailed shut, and Passover was reinstituted. They had done away with Passover. So if we keep the analogy going about the jetliner, the jetliner with 1.8 million Jewish souls on board was uh, out of a nosedive and flying with some stability and back on course. And kudos to the new captain, uh, King Hezekiah. All right, 7 through 12. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines who were in between. As far as Gaza and its territory. In, in King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, now he's repeating what we already know, marched against Samaria, which is the capital of the north, and laid siege to it. At the end of those three years, the Assyrians took it. So Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel. The king of Assyria deported Israel, the north, to Assyria, we heard that last time, and settled them in Hala, Gozan, on the Habor River, and in the town of the Medes, which is Iran. This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant. All that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. So, uh, number two, we're going to have some military might now. We've seen some spiritual reform, military might. Now, Warren Wearsby took that paragraph and also uh, it, it is from the expanded paragraph of chapter 17, the last one. And, and he said, the reason Israel lost the promised land was because of three Ds, uh, disobedience, uh, doubting, 
and defying God. So the triple D is no longer diners, drive-ins, and dives, all right? So it's disobedience, doubting, and defying God. It'll give you the fourth D, which is destruction and death. I love verse 7. It says uh, that the Lord was with him and he was successful. Well, what does that mean? Isn't the Lord kind of with all his people? Well, he's with him in a special way because he was with the Lord. He was with the Lord. So the story's passed along through the years now from the 1800s where we had uh, D.L. Moody. He was the Billy Graham of the 1800s. And uh, there was a committee of ministers, and on a, uh, certain, in a certain city, they were discussing who was going to come and do the evangelism crusade. And there was a young guy who didn't want D.L. Moody to come. And uh, one, his big thing was he said uh, he didn't want him to come. Why Moody, he asked, does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? There was silence, and a godly older minister spoke up. No, he doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on him. Now, to have a monopoly on something means, as you know, means uh, you are the only person who has that thing. So the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. God is the only person who D.L. Moody gets his marching orders from. God is the only person this guy lives to please. So yes, the Holy Spirit had a monopoly on Hezekiah's life, and as a result, he's using him like crazy in the paragraph we just read. So military might. Well, now he's confident, and this is important. He gets right with God himself, and now he's, he's made the necessary reforms, no longer offending God. He's opened the temple doors. Everything is kosher regarding the scriptures. And now he is confident to take a stand militarily. You see, be careful not to just suddenly reach out and in provocation and step out in faith when you've got unconfessed sins and all kinds of problems. Uh, He is confident because he's right with God and he is doing God's will. And then He's now working toward a strong and free, independent Judah. There's no stopping him now. What's to stop him? He's got no secret sins. He's in direct obedience to God. He's he's gotten rid of all the terrible, wicked compromise that, that he could do. And now he knows he's got God's pleasure he is, he is, he's, he's confident and strong because his conscience is right. He's really living in step with the Holy Spirit. There's, there's nothing to stop somebody like that. And so out comes the decree, we will be slaves to no one. And so this king is of Assyria is taking Israel away in the north. And in the south, he say, he's telling him, We will not be your slaves. We are not paying tribute to you. Now, dad struck a deal with this king of Assyria. You'll recall in chapter 16, he emptied the the treasury, you know. He told him, look, back off and we'll give you all this silver and gold uh, and we'll keep sending it to you, all this tribute money. Now, Hezekiah comes to power 
in verse 7 there, you can see. And after they got right with God, they were confident. And so he sends them a letter. He says, uh, Dear Shalmaneser, this is the promised land given to us by God. We don't pay rent to bully pagan kings to live on our own property. Have a nice day. <laughs> signed, signed Hezekiah. You do realize that he's deporting while he's doing this. The king of Assyria is taking all of the north away and bringing back Assyrians. And this king is behind the walls of Jerusalem saying, we're not paying. Oh, just don't get your hopes up of seeing any, any gold or silver from us. Wow. Signed, Hezekiah, which means God is my strength. Yeah. Amen? Oh, yeah. Well, he's going to have a hiccup about this later. Uh, it's, you know, there's always a hiccup, but he recovers nicely. So we'll go on here. Hezekiah serves notice to the Assyrian king outside the borders, and he also serves notice to the bully Philistines in verse 8, and he takes care of them who have the upper hand oppressing the Jews inside their land. So he just wants, hey, we're free in our hearts now. We're doing what God has told us to do. He's promised he'd take care of us. Now, now let's just step out now and watch God take care of us. From the outside, the Assyrians, no way. We're not your vassal slaves anymore. We're not paying the ransom. And inside, the Philistines are got a chokehold on them. And so he gets rid of the chokehold. He busts that off, and he tells Assyria, back off. We're not paying you. And it worked for five years. 9 through 12 just repeats the exile story about how Israel was taken away. And, and here's why it's mentioned again. While Israel, being faithless, and the north is falling... In the midst of all of that, this young man says, my dad was impressed by you. My dad sent tribute to you. Uh, the kings of the north were paying you off, but we will not. I'm not. And why? Isaiah. Isaiah told Hezekiah, you could read this for yourself in Isaiah or 2 Chronicles 29. Isaiah told him, don't worry about him. He loses. He loses, so he already had a word from the, the Lord so he could be confident, even though it didn't look that way outwardly. One writer said, when you've got a word from God, any threat, no matter how monstrous, is reduced to nothing, and peace and confidence replaces the terror. It wasn't afraid. We're not paying the ransom. Go away. Assyria... It, I wish I had that map. Assyria is taking up Iraq, Iran, parts of Syria, and Jordan, and Arabia. It's gigantic. And Jerusalem, he's in a little gated community. And he's saying, you know, go away. I'm not paying, you know. Because why? Because we're right with God now. We have the confidence. We're standing on the promises of God. And when you have that, it doesn't matter what the doctor says, what the lawyer's saying, what... Whatever, you can have peace and confidence. Listen, I've got a story for you. Uh, you all know, some of you know, uh, the sad story about Pastor Pat Gordon, who uh, is the pastor over there at Crosspoint that used to be Bethel Baptist on 
Guerneville. Well, he was working out a few months ago, and he, did, he, he, he noticed that something was wrong with his body. He was just overly tired. He couldn't take hikes anymore. There was something wrong. He went to the doctor. They uh, diagnosed him with acute uh, leukemia and said, it, it's really aggressive. You need transfusions right away. You need chemotherapy right away. It does not look good. We'll try to get you to Stanford to get a bone marrow transplant. Now, while he was having chemo, um, I went to visit him a few times, or several of us did, and we were sitting with him, and uh, the chemo didn't work, and instead it compromised his immunity, and he got infections in his lungs, on his face, uh, on his arm, that were life-threatening. Stanford called and said, well, sorry, we, you don't have a place here, and then the hospital he was at sent him home, with hospice, so we cannot do anything for you. So he was saying, you know, I really don't feel like it's my time. I really feel like the Lord is giving me a couple scriptures. Hey, I may end up going home to be with him. They said, there's nothing we can do for you. And he went home, and he was with hospice up until Thanksgiving. And then something happened. He started to get better. He started to feel better. His face healed. His arm healed. He started to get energy. And he woke up one morning and said to the hospice care, you need to go home. <laughs> you, you seriously need to go home. There's nothing here for you. So today, he came in the office, glowing, completely healed, looking fit and trim and really great, glowing, and just said, hey, listen, I'm here I, God has kind of raised me up. Uh, hospice is gone. Uh, the hospital is saying we can't explain what's happening here. Uh, all, your all your blood tests are completely normal. All your blood tests are completely normal. Thank God. What a <laughs> he said, listen, they sent me home to die. They gave me two weeks to live. No medications at home. His family was called to his side and flew in to say goodbye. And he said, you know what? God just had a different plan. Now, this is Hezekiah's confidence. When God just speaks to you, it doesn't matter the chemotherapy and, and, and the doc, doctor saying, you got two weeks. This monstrous world power is at the gate and has devoured every kingdom on the way. And Hezekiah's like, whatever. We're not paying you a dime. All right, that just, I uh, love that. Come on. Hospice was all over the place in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah said, go home, get out of here. The Lord isn't done with me yet. Amen. Let's finish up 13 through 16 and we'll be done. Now, here comes a setback, all right? So there's always a little hiccup. You know, he's not perfect. He just loves the Lord, but he's not perfect. 13 through 16. Now, in the 14th year of Hez King Hezekiah's reign, so what is he's his mid-30s, Sennacherib, who is Shalmaneser's son, so he's the new king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. A fortified city has a wall around it. So all, now he's in Judah, and he's got all the walled cities except one, Jerusalem. 
So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. Lachish is a city that's walled that has fallen. I've done wrong. Withdraw from me and I'll pay whatever you demand of me. <laughs> uh, we love you. We love you. We, we, we understand you. The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, the king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and the doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. Well, you know, I said a little hiccup. So here's a little hiccup. Number one was spiritual reform. Number two is military might. And number three, a sad setback. Uh, Hezekiah hits a speed bump. You know, he had five good years. So from the time that Israel was taken away, he had five years of saying no and five years of oppressive Philistines conquered. So he had five good years. And then this new son um, ascends to the Assyrian throne. His name's Sennacherib, right? And he comes in like a Tasmanian devil, right? And And he says, hey, Hezekiah... You, you resisted my father, but you're not going to resist me, all right? So verse 13 says, all the fortified cities, the walls of those cities, they all fell, fell except Jerusalem. So um, he's surrounded. You understand him, right? He can't, he's out of, Isaiah's out of range. He can't text Isaiah, you know, he, he can't. Uh, seriously, uh, maybe we deserve this. He's thinking, you know, maybe the Lord is chastising us. For whatever reason, he takes his eyes off the Lord. And what happens? He reverts to human ingenuity. Now, here's what one Bible commentator said. Most Bible heroes, no matter how godly and fearless and accomplished, somehow we always get to see a glimpse of their human weakness. Is it this so that we can know that their spiritual heights are attainable even by flawed human beings like you and like me. Noah, Noah had a thing for wine. David had a thing for pretty girls. Moses lost his cool. Samson lost his way. Peter lost his courage. So did Hezekiah for a moment. You know, Peter was doing the impossible, just like Hezekiah, walking on the water. And then suddenly he looked to the sound of the roar of the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. And Jesus saves the lecture for after he saves him, which is the part I always love. He reaches out, saves him, and then says, oh, come on, Peter. Why'd you doubt? We're doing so good there. You know, and, and Hezekiah, come on, Hezekiah, what happened? It just got to him. He's like, okay, he got pretty desperate there. But, you know, it's not perfection about being a Bible hero or a faithful man or woman of God. It's persistence. Men and women of God, they bounce back. They bounce back. They fall. They can fall seven times, but they get up. They bounce back. They recommit. They get back on the Bronco. They never give up. Here's Lachish, and just beautiful. You can go to Israel, okay? Here's the, they're on top. It's a 
fortified city. Come on up here and fight us. So you know what they did? They built a siege, siege, uh, a ramp there, right? And you can go and see it. And everybody, it says there, from it quotes our chapter. This is what they did to get to the top. And it took them a while, but they, this is where uh, this fell. It's 36 miles from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is also on a hill like this, and it's walled, right? So he sends a messenger to Lachish, where Sennacherib is, is now got his outpost and his new offices, right? So he, he, he sends him a letter, and, and, and he sends a message to Sennacherib, and here's how it goes. Dear Uncle Sinni, you know, okay, what was I thinking? I was wrong to withhold your money. Back off, and I'll give you whatever you want. Just name your price. So he says, I want 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. By the way, that's what it translates to. So Hezekiah goes to Jerusalem Credit Bureau and takes out a new line of credit there, apparently. I thought that was funny on paper. It was hilarious right there, and little did I know. He empties his savings. He's pretty desperate, okay? He's scraping the, the, the gold off of the doors and the frames, okay? So he's in trouble, and he knows it. And uh, instead of going to the Lord, he's going to the gold. Uh, and so what else? He, I just, he, he's probably going for the chandeliers and the chariot rims of the tires and the wife's jewelry or whatever. <laughs> Maybe he's pulling out his old, his own gold teeth from his mouth, you know. Uh, you're not going to believe what comes next. I mean, it's one of the most dramatic, suspense-filled moments of the Old Testament. The tension is going to mount here. The armies of Assyria are closing in. Uh, Jerusalem is thrown into a panic and Honestly, it's the most surprising scene I know of in the Old Testament. Oh, sorry about that. What? <laughs> You're going to have to wait till next time. Or guess what? You could take your Bible and read it tonight before you go to sleep. <laughs> I have ways to make you read your Bible. All right. All right. Well, here we go. Are you ready for seven one-liners, reflections on bringing spiritual revival to your own heart and to people around you? Here we go. Note takers, you ready? Okay, number one. Hezekiah wholehearted, his whole, he wholeheartedly, his wholehearted commitment was more important than his youth and experience. Did you get that? I'm going to repeat it just because I couldn't say it. His wholehearted commitment was more important than his youth and experience. Number two, he rejected bad examples and followed good ones. Three, he was gutsy and took some risks for God. Four, he sought the applause of heaven over the praise of men. Five, he acted quickly and thoroughly. He didn't put things off, nor did he do things half-heartedly. Six, 
He wanted everyone around him to experience the joy and the life and the freedom that God brings. And number seven, when he has a spiritual setback, he regroups and recommits his life, goes forward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we admire, we are inspired by men and women of God who, who follow hard after you, Lord. We want to learn, be more like these Bible heroes, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that through Jesus Christ and all things are possible, we thank you for the grace that lifts us high, makes us able. We commit these truths, Lord, uh, into our hearts. May you bless us, Lord, as we worship and close out this evening by once again affirming our faith and love for you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.